Hello, welcome to Soul Led, a podcast dedicated to the evolution of your soul and the development of your spiritual gifts. I am Nikki Novo, your spiritual mentor, a fiery Latina, mom of three, and a lover of all things intuitive. You're here because you're meant to be here. So let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soul Led. How's everybody doing? Today is a beautiful day. It's actually not a beautiful day in Miami, you guys. It's like ugly outside, but it's a beautiful day in my heart because I am here with my friend, my colleague, my soul sister, Amanda Abella. Welcome. Do you go by Abella or Abella? It depends. I mean, lately I've been going by Abella because I'm like, I mean, it is Spanish. Right. And then people get confused. They're like, oh, so are you like Italian? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Amanda is also a Cuban American, just like me, but she is all about the money, honey. You know, we've known each other since we were hustling 10 years ago, just blogging and trying to make it work and try to figure out. We didn't know what, neither of us knew what the hell we were doing, but we've been, you know, climbing side by side. So it's just beautiful to be here with her today. She really is such a, I don't know, just, you're just a fireworks to me. And she uh, talks a lot about money. She helps people sell those, sell their programs. She really has worked her way to feeling worthy of all the things that we want in life. And she also is extremely spiritual and into manifesting and all those things, but she's just a perfect fit of, she's the yin and the yang. She's a perfect fit of the masculine and the feminine. And uh, we're here to talk about money today and how it really um, has a lot to do with how we see ourselves. It has a lot to do with our spirituality and we're just going to have conversations about that. So I hope you enjoy us today. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me to talk about one of my favorite subjects on the woo side, because usually I get asked a lot about strategy, which I love. Um, strategy is needed. It's that masculine structure. We really, really need it. But sometimes it's like, okay, I'm like ODing on the strategy right now. Can we go talk about this other portion of it as well. Cause to your point, you need both. And the soul community will always be here to talk to you about all the feminine stuff. So we're we like the masculine stuff too, but you know, we are, we will definitely be that home for you, Amanda. So thanks for sharing with us. So if you can tell me a little bit about your background, kind of how you got into the work that you're doing, anything that you think would be helpful for us to get a little bit of an understanding of you. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Cuban American and recently is when I came to the realization that that probably has a lot to do with my hustle. Um, yeah. <laughs> so did you know, Amanda, I was watching this documentary and about Cuba and I, there was, you know, there's this time that all these, you know, the Spanish, the Spaniards came at some point it was just not the conquistadors, but just the people that were like, Oh, there's like land. And you know, you can, you could, there's a great grandfather was one of them. Right. Yep. Your, our great grandfathers, right. That generation. They're, they actually shipped a lot of these Spaniards because they were hardworking. So like, actually like my, my father is from Galicia, his, his lineage. And apparently these people from Galicia were like super, they were actually shipped over to work into the sugar canes because they were known to be like hard workers. So it's actually like in our blood to know how to hustle. Yeah. So funny that you bring that up. I just did my um, 23andMe, right? And it came out 93% Spanish, which that wasn't shocking, right? And then also like 3% North African, which wasn't shocking either. I knew that yeah. from my mother's side from the Canary Islands, right? Islands too. My grandfather is from um, the Canary Islands. Yeah. So very, very common among Cubans, but it was basically like there were the three top places from Spain that 
23andMe picked up and it was Canary Islands was number one. Galicia was number two. That's on my dad's side that we know of. And then um, Andalusia was number three. Mm-hmm. So that is like, that's where it comes from. I mean, my yep. mom says like, she's like, well, if you know the Cuban history, Span- the Spaniards are assholes, but like, they're also hardworking is what she would tell me. All the yeah. Time. I mean, my great grandfather was born in Cuba, right. But then went back to Canary Islands, came back at the age of 18 and then apparently um, was able to amass so much land that he was able to split it up between his 10 kids. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, the asshole government took it from him. Well, that side of the family had already sold it before oh, all this stuff happened, right? But the asshole government did take the land that was on my mother's side of the family, the mm-hmm. farmland that was on my mom's side. No, actually... You're right. Okay. I got the two sides of the family confused. So on my mother's side, they also had a lot of farmland that had been sold. So on my grandmother's side, on my maternal grandmother's side, that one had been sold. But on my maternal grandfather's side, which is the lineage from that great grandfather, some of the siblings had sold it already. Some didn't. My grandfather hadn't. So they still had that land and they cultivated it and they were working with tobacco companies and all that kind of stuff. And my mom remembers the day the Cuban government knocked on the door and said, this doesn't belong to you anymore. Do you imagine like everything? So you know, it's funny we're starting off with this. We're actually talking about this in the middle of all the uprising happening in Cuba. So it's just so funny that you and I are talking today and that we're talking about this because money- Divinely appointed. (laughs) Money, I feel like our ancestors are with us. Money is in the root chakra. And the way that we think about security and land and, you know, our worthiness when it comes to money and all that stuff is all part of these stories. So these stories are like very important stories to even look at so that you have an understanding of why you work the way you work and, you know, how, how this is so much, you know, your, your relationship to money is like so much bigger than just you in this experience today. It has. Oh yeah. I, we definitely have a lot of root chakra trauma on father's day was recently. And we were like sharing stories and stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, this makes so much sense now because one of the things I'm working through and have been working through for a long time is the idea of always needing to hustle because something's going to be taken from you. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, can we curse on this podcast just before I start? Oh, what the fuck? Like, I'm like, what the actual fuck? Like, hello, like, where does this come from? I grew up in a first world country. Like my parents were professionals, like, but it wasn't from, from my experience. It was from the experience they went through as children and the experience my grandparents went through where literally they had everything ripped from them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. My mom's a major hoarder because she's constantly afraid that somebody's going to take all her stuff, you know? Yeah. And then so be the anti-hoarder because of that. So it's like, we all get affected by that. And you know, that really has a lot to do with our money. So anyways, I'm sorry. You grew up in Miami Mm -hmm. and you went to a Catholic high school and no Catholic college, right? Catholic college. Yes. Public high, public school my whole life until college. And you liked your, your college. You know, you sound like you have, it was okay. Like it's, it's, it's got its bad side and its good side. I will, I'll say too much of anything is a bad thing. (laughs) 
And you went to Catholic school, so you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Was it all girls? No, it was co-ed? No, 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 it was co-ed. Okay. But it was like really Catholic. And um, on the one side, I think the Catholic faith was great. I mean, we both come from traditional Cuban families, so you'll understand exactly what I'm saying, where it's like you, you do have some concept of faith and you do have some concept of life after death and you have some concept of miracles and angels and things like that. But then there's like the ugly underbelly side of organized religion, which is, you know, meant to manipulate and oppress people. So I saw both. (laughs) And I was, that was a real conflict for a long time for me in terms of like my spiritual journey. I did eventually like let that part go, but I like kept the good stuff kind of. So it's, it's good and bad. I, you know, we live in this world of polarity and duality. So yeah. So it was like just an experience, but it was an experience. That, you graduated. What did you think you were going to do? You studied what? Oh, I had no idea. I studied literature and because I went to a liberal arts school and I'm like, I don't fucking know what I'm going to do with this. So <laughs> like, your parents didn't tell you, Hey girl, no, no my parents I, I were like, do what I would study no. creative writing or something. Yeah, no, my parents are like, you do whatever the hell you want. Like, my, I know that a lot of immigrants get the story of go get a professional job, go do the secure thing. That's what my parents did, right? Because they had to. But then with me and my brother, it's like, y'all go do whatever the hell you want. Okay. Don't work for the man. Like, it's not worth it, basically. Which I think is kind um, of what we're doing to our kids right now. That's definitely yeah. You know, we're just like, what do you want to be? You want to be a YouTuber? Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> we're just, you know. Yeah. So my parents are really good about that. And they've always been super supportive. So I had no idea. What I, what I did know is I graduated in 2010 and it took me six months to find any sort of employment mm. whatsoever. And then a friend handed me a book called The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Gillibo. It was all about you can make your own money. Like he was making money on the internet. I think selling stuff on eBay at the time. You know, and he's like, I'm going to every country in the world. And it was like, oh my God, why has nobody ever told me this before? (laughs) Amazing. Right. Like I didn't know any of this stuff was a thing. Like I could just make my own money. Right. And at the time I was really panicking because it was like, you know, right after 2008, there's no work. I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? I got my quarter life crisis a bit early. Um, and actually to backtrack, I think I got my dark night of the soul a bit early because I actually got really sick when I was 21 and I had to make, take a medical leave of absence from school. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that process, when you're like home and in bed and you like have nothing to do, like all your shit comes up. (laughs) Super fun. Super fun. So I have no distractions anymore. You have to hear yourself. There's no distractions. You have to hear yourself. So I was already starting this journey with panic attacks. And then of course it got worse because there's no work. Everything I was told to do is not working. So I just went looking for answers, you know, and, and a friend handed me that book. And then I think at the same time, I read The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, which I should probably reread. But I was like just drawn to it at the Barnes and Noble on Miracle Mile. And I'm like, that that sounds like a book I should read, right? So I read both at the same time. And then I Googled how to make money writing. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to figure out an answer. Started a blog at the time. It was called Grad Meets World because I'm like, well, I process things by writing and nobody taught me anything about adulthood. So I'm just going to like write about it, right? Because like it'll help me. And then if somebody else is going through it, it'll help them. But mostly it was just to help me as I'm learning stuff to like hold me accountable. 
at the same time, one of my first like clients, and I do clients in air quotes because there were these things called like content mills. I don't think they exist anymore. I think Google frowns upon them. But basically like writing a bunch of writing and then you would get the ad revenue. But -hmm. there was also um, the option to take on assignments for like 15 bucks or something like that. And at the time, 15 bucks and I could just write like that's easy money for me. Right. Right. And I realized that they had um, personal finance articles open. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about money, but what if I get paid to learn about money? Mm. So you had like an interest in money at that point. Well, yeah, because it was obvious to me that we needed it to survive and I wasn't making any, I was broke as shit. Yeah. I had an interest in money. Like, (laughs) so some, so it's so funny because you and I had like different experiences because I was like, my first jobs were at, in LA, I worked at, you know, Lionsgate and Fox Searchlight. And I was really just like looking for somebody to give me a position where I could be creative. Like to me, that was like such a gift. And I was like, my parents did not pay for shit, but in my my head, I thought that I would be okay. Like I was not interested in money. I literally would go to interviews and be like, it's okay. Whatever you pay me is fine. I'm just here to be part of the community and to be here for the work. <laughs> and my dad, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking. Like, and then I'd have to like, my dad would check my accounts and be like, Nikki, like, what are these people paying you? I was like, don't worry, dad. Like it's, it's beautiful work. I love it there. I'm so happy. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not sending you money. Like what? <laughs> you know? So I was like the obvious, I don't know what my parents in a good way did. Like they never talked about money. So they never made me feel like insecure about money. I mean, we had money. My dad, you know, was a doctor, but it wasn't like this, like super extra amount. They weren't, they're not the ones that are like giving us down payments for our houses or anything like that. Right. No, my parents never did any of that either. They didn't pay for us to go to college. Like we, you know, we, I mean, we all got scholarships, so we got lucky, but, but I didn't have like, I just didn't, I don't know. It's like almost like I didn't know that you needed it to survive in a weird way, you know? Yeah, no, it came pretty obvious to me uh, because I couldn't find a job. And I'm like, well, how do you pay bills if you can't find a job and the economy's in the shitter and there's nothing you can do about it? That's really kind of what it was. Um, so anyway, started a blog. It was called Grand Peace World at the time, a little millennial humor. And um, I did get a job. So my first job was teaching English and Spanish as a second language for a private language school, which was fun and interesting, but it lasted six months because the schedule was crazy and I just needed something more stable. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job as a recruiter working for a small business. We were basically the middleman. So we would like interview candidates and our clients were like fortune 500. You were just like, at this point, your goal was like, just get something that pays you. You weren't really- Just get some stability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just get some stability. But I had kept the freelance writing and the blogging the whole time. Because there was something that was like, uh, no, you've already seen what happens. You need money coming from different places. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Right. right. And like, that was a lot of what I was reading and researching too, because of the personal finance articles. Now, because a lot of people hear the seven streams of income thing. Now I made the mistake that everybody makes when they hear that, where they think it's like having seven different jobs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. And that's not what that means. <laughs> What is um, seven streams of income? I don't, I've never heard of that. So uh, basically most millionaires have seven streams of income and people mistake okay. that for being like, oh, I'm doing seven different kinds of projects or seven different kinds of jobs. That's not it at all. Now that I, I have a company, it's like, no, it means I have like, I don't know, five training programs that make me money, but they're all in alignment with each other. It's not like I have five different companies right yeah, now that like, are 
Yeah. Like I'm you're, focused. You're resources for these five different things or whatever. Yeah. I'm focused. Right. Mm-hmm. So I made that mistake. It's a very common mistake people make. So I just kept it going. And then that lasted about, I think, two and a half years. In that time, I found Gabby Bernstein toward the end of 2012, I think is when I found Gabby Bernstein, right? Or 2012 or 20, I can't remember. And then I, it was like an authors at Google talk. And I heard her say like, your outside world is affected by what's going, but you're thinking. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm having, why did nobody ever tell me? Like, right. That was Louise Hay for me when I found you can heal your life. Yeah. Famous, whatever. Same thing. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Why have I not? I didn't hear this in church. <laughs> yes. I didn't hear this in mass. I think Jesus talks about it. It's just, we just, I think, she, yeah, Jesus talks about talk it, about but it. like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I missed the memo on that one. Right. <laughs> cool. And yeah. that brings me to like, I don't know if you have this with your clients, Amanda, but you know, everybody like gets stuck on like, oh, they they want to like teach something original or they're just like, oh, but somebody else is teaching this or whatever. And it's like, you guys, there's like, nothing new oh. under the sun. And these simple concepts, like, you know, you can be like a well-educated, like loving, smart person. And that concept just hasn't come to you yet. And like when right. it's meant to come to you, it's meant, you know, Amanda and I were both, you know, well-educated, had good kids, like good parents, good, you know, like, it's just that that information, so simple, wasn't introduced to us until it was the time. So when you think about whatever you're creating or whatever you want to sell or whatever you're making, like don't overthink it. Like somebody needs to hear your message at that time. And we're all kind of just saying the same stuff, you know, in different ways. And it, God, it's like, it's just so simple, but so needed. Yeah. So that was an experience. And then so I started diving into that, really listening to a lot of her stuff. And it was really, really helpful just like in the beginning of the journey and meditating and all that kind of stuff. I think about a year and a half later, I would end up quitting that job. Are you working like on your mindset? I mean, I guess I was maybe not like, I think it, it was so, all of it was so new to me that I was just like absorbing it at the time, but I wasn't necessarily understanding it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I was just absorbing anything I could. It was more like I had made all these internet friends during this time. And I saw them starting to quit their jobs and freelance full-time. I remember one of them had started making like 6,000 a month. And I was like, oh my God, if I could just make 6,000 a month, that would, that would change my whole life. Right. And I was like, there's something going on on the internet. This was back in like 2012, 2013. I'm like, there's something going on online. Right. Meanwhile, I'm interviewing people every day who like got fired or there was a merger or there was a layoff or like, I'm like, what? Yeah, that that was actually like feeding this cat. Like it was almost like making the catalyst for you to understand like that, that route, which a lot of people think is safe is actually not. It's not. It's not. I would be in constant anxiety if I was getting a salary, honestly, like, because as an adult, you realize that like things happen and mm-hmm. you need an extra 4,000 bucks this month or you need, and if I couldn't be in control of how much money I make, I, I just wouldn't work out for me. I just, yeah. So I was start employee at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm unemployable at this point, but I, but so that started happening, quit the job in July of 2013. And then, you know, I think I basically spent the first month sleeping because I'd spent two years working, getting up early, working in the mornings, going to a job, working nights and working weekends. And then in the mornings and nights and the weekends, I was just trying to figure out the blogging thing, the freelance writing thing. I started learning how to pitch and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think I just slept for like the first month. And then I was like, you have nine months to figure out how to pay for your own health insurance. 
Oh, that was your thing. So interesting. So I'm going to interrupt you for a second, Amanda, because so what Amanda's talking about seems like very human stuff, right? It's like, you know, health insurance, things like that. But what we don't realize, and I talk about this all the time, is that these very human things are our spiritual carrots, I call them, because it's like they're dangling in your face and you're going to have to get through your bullshit, release your ego and get there just to hit this like, you know, human thing. That's why we come in human form. So it, you know, health insurance may seem very unspiritual, like it may seem like, oh, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's actually what, you know, made her like rise up and to get past herself, to get past that ego, to be able to hit this thing. So that silly little, you know, insurance thing was actually really, really supporting you. It was probably the most divine assignment you had at the time. I never thought about it that way. Right. Cause I'm, I'm so like grounded. I'm woo grounded. Right. And I'm so ground. I'm like, but this, I mean, it just is what it is. Like I just accept it. <laughs> right. Yeah. What was getting you going? Yeah. So fast track, I end up. So and this is a great story, right? So I'm freelance writing. I, I you know, self-publish a book. It's an Amazon bestseller. And what I noticed was that people were constantly terrified about money. I did about a hundred. Like it was about money. Thought you yeah. were an author in this department, basically. You probably thought. I you thought, were yeah, about these things. Yeah, and because I'd done a hundred interviews with people in my audience, and they were just terrified about money. And the book was basically just answering their questions. Amazon bestseller. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on being a financial writer because I think I was still doing some health stuff, right? So I really niched down to financial and my income started taking off when I niched, right? Business lesson. But it's like, I think you can't force niching though, right? No. I don't really think you can force it. I think you have to throw a bunch of things up against the wall and then ultimately... Well, I think it's also like data. I think a part of what's going on with people who want to start their own businesses is, and we're noticing this when we work with clients is like, no one has taught them how to do market research and go test stuff out. Mm-hmm. I'm a big So tech. some of it is just testing, okay. you know? So we walk them through testing things. So anyway, at the same time, people are starting to email me. Oh my God, how'd you build this brand? Oh my God, how are you working with these clients? So I would start doing like one-on-one coaching. And then in 2015, I thought that's what I really wanted to start focusing on. I was still doing one-on-one packages at the time. And I had done like a a telesummit for a women's networking group. And I got like 60 sales calls booked and every single one of them rejected me. (laughs) No, like, so you had calls with them, but nobody booked. Nobody bought shit, right? Not at that time. I ended up I bought one-on-one sessions with you, Amanda, and I enjoyed it very much. But Back when I still did the (laughs) one-on-one. Yeah. So was that a sign? Yeah, way back in the day. Was that like a sign to you? like, Or did you feel that that was like a defeat that like none of these people say? No, I felt like that was a gut punch, but a sign at the same time. Because even when I get gut punches, there's still a sign, Mm -hmm. right? But it did feel like a gut punch in a way. Right. But then I was like, all right, well, the freelance writing is working. So I'm just going to double and triple down on that. Mm -hmm. And I did. Right. And I started making really good money. And then I got the next problem, which was, oh my God, I can't scale this. So then I had to, and I was also starting to get some messages. So now we're going into end of 2016. So it didn't last long. So now we're going into end of, it feels like forever, but I'm like, damn, this has happened like a really short spurt. But real quick. So guys, so basically she was writing, which is basically a service, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. she is one person. So, you know, there is no scale really, because it's like, it's really just her time, her ability. Same thing with readings. Like if you're doing readings or you're doing health coaching, at some point you're going to hit that ceiling where, you know, you realize that you, 
you know, either you can go up in price, right? Or, but with you, you, you were kind of being dictated the price in many ways because people were telling in you. In some ways. I mean, I was working in finance, so the price, it was good. Like it was good money in finance because oh, it was so niche and not a lot of competition. Okay. I didn't know yeah. that. So it was, it was pretty good money. You know, I mean, I could sometimes get more than a thousand an article. I mean, it was, it was good money. Scale. So, so you realized you wanted to scale. I wanted to scale. Right. But I was also starting to get these downloads that were kind of, oh, I've been meditating this whole time, by the way, but I was also starting to get these downloads that were like, okay, so we're overdue for a crisis. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, your current business model would not survive that. Right. I'm also really good with contrast. Right. So when I realize I don't like something, I'm like, all right, change the plans. <laughs> right. And that's very helpful for you. Kind of were like feeling like if something would go down, if, you know, these companies would like, I'd be screwed. I'd right. be screwed. They, I'm like, the first thing all your clients are going to do is cut their marketing budgets and you're screwed. Right. And I turned out to be right when that, when the crisis did hit in 2020. That is exactly what they did. So I was like, okay. And, and the word system kept coming up for me, system, 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 right? I'm like, I need to get better at systems. I need to get better at scale. So I hired help to help me do all of that, um, at least the first iteration of it. And then I created my Persuade to Profit program. This was in the summer of 2017, brought it out into the marketplace, made 10,000 in cash in two weeks. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, you found your thing. Mm. And what was like, what was the desire behind Persuade a Profit? Like, what were you thinking? And this I was, was the system. This was basically like the method that you- The had. method. Yeah. This was the method I had created to teach people what I had done building the first business. You know, that's a really good question. I'm trying to put myself back there and see if I can- I think a part of it was I had a friend who passed away, right? Like really unexpectedly. And then I, I was like booking like three plane tickets in a week and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, cause he wasn't much older than me. I think he was 32 when he passed. I was like 28 at the time. And then I was like, you could die tomorrow. Mm. So like, you need to make sure that like suddenly time became very important to me. Like it was still important to me before, but now it became really important. The gift of death. Right. So I was like, if you want to, you know, live a certain way, and I got clear on how I wanted to live my life. I'm like, you're going to have to do a new business model. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to figure something else out. I didn't exactly know what it looked like at the time. It was just following a model and the kind of lifestyle that you were looking for yeah. really what guided you. Yeah. Yeah. So I brought Persuade to Profit out within a year and a half. We had doubled our revenue and our profits. Right. And I went, holy shit, like, what did I do? And then now I've been reverse engineering what I did. Right. And then I had to hire my first employee, which was terrifying. And then we entered the stage of, wow, now we really got to figure out infrastructure and scaling and team. So I've been coming up a lot of growth up against a lot of growth edges and mindset stuff in the last couple of years. Right. Um, so really perfect timing that we're having this conversation because it's a constantly evolving thing, money mindset and the worthiness and all of that. Um, and we just started coming out of that. So now I'm in a position where it's like, wow, we have money coming in passively or we're starting to see it. I'm like, great, this is something that can be improved. Now I have like associate coaches. We're having months where we have almost like 50,000 in cash. Right. Mm -hmm. We have like full-time employees and I'm like, Oh shit. 
all this stuff I was thinking about back in 2017. So like what, four years now, like it's happening. It's here. It's happening. <laughs> you know, it's so exciting. We, it's funny. We have like a, a little bit of a similar situation that when I hear your story, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that we were probably going through the same thing at the same time. So Amanda, you are so proud of yourself as you should be with the amount of money that's coming into the business. I'm so proud of my business also. But what do you say to people that think that that's like bad, you know, that you're profiting off of, which I'm sure this comes up with your clients, you know, yes, like that, that guilt of, yeah. uh, you know, being a woman, you know, selling something online, getting paid for it and wanting, like there's like this guilt about wanting more money, you know, yeah. um, anything that, any thoughts about that? Yeah. A couple of things. Number one, if you want to change the world, it requires a lot of resources. Yeah. Period. It, we live on an economic planet. It is what it is. Second of all, I mean, even Mother Teresa knew that. Mother Teresa was a fabulous salesperson. <laughs> yeah, she was really good at fundraising, actually. Yeah, and like all her friends were rich. Like, <laughs> I did not know this. Where can I read about this? That would be amazing to look yeah. at. Yeah, we see that. Yeah, she was really, really good at it. Um, it wasn't for her, right? And yeah, that's but fine. She, but she yes, understood the importance of money. She understood the, she was very clear on the importance of money and resources. And the other thing I would say is we've been conditioned into this as women, because when women get their hands on, on money and we know this, they tend to do some pretty good things with it. And the patriarchy does not like that. <laughs> so that's a part of it. We've been conditioned into it. And then the other thing I would say is you have to also consider the alternative. I actually interviewed one of our clients recently in our, or yesterday in our Facebook group and she started making, she joined us in Persuade to Profit. She was like, she was really struggling. Like I made like a special payment plan for her and everything. I'm like, I just need to get you in here because I know this will change your life. Like I knew it within 60 days, she's already doing five figure months. Yeah. And one of the things that she said was I got into this cycle before you and a lot of women do this where it's like, oh, I'm here to serve. I'm here to be ha like all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I'm, I'm like, that's taught to us too. People are like, what's your why? You know, I'm like, led, I'm led by God. I'm led by spirit, but then I would end up undercharging and then I would become a resentful bitch. So <laughs> wasn't really working. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, how's that going for you? How's so, that going for you? Yeah. Yeah. Resentment is actually um, an energy I work with because um, it is a good meter of what's going on with my ability to receive. So if I see resentment in me, I actually look in my life and I'm like, okay, where am I not receiving a lot enough? And you know, I'm the one that either allows my, myself to receive or not. And it's usually like, that's an indicator to change my price. Um, it's an indicator to, to take something off my plate, to hire somebody, to bring in some sort of support. Like, so the, and you said that you're good with like contrast, like yep. and those are, you know, we're afraid of those emotions, but those I feel like are just so much more powerful sometimes, unfortunately. Yes. And they really, they, humans. They, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, like we go for the strong emotions. And, um, so I, I love those, like, I don't, I don't shy. You just have to know how to work with them, how to use them. Yeah. And how to identify them and how to use it to propel you in the right direction. They make pretty good guideposts actually. And every month, right. Cause I'll, I'll do like cycle syncing stuff. And like every month when I'm coming up on my period, we're going to go mm -hmm. there when I'm coming up on my period, mm -hmm. that's the time that's good for like analyzing stuff and like releasing what's not working. I do it every month. I work with my period too. 
Um, I was talking about that in my group the other day. Like I let whatever is bothering me show up right before, right as my period's coming on. Well, I'm on my period after the period, I make all my content because I'm inspired. Yeah. Um, I'm clear. So I work with my period too. Yeah. So that's like a monthly thing, mm-hmm. right? Now, yesterday I did a call with my mastermind clients. Hey, it's like halfway through the year. That's like, I didn't be like, Hey, this is based on the fact that I'm like PMSing and about to get my period. That's why I'm doing this. I was just like, here's how you analyze what's working and what's not working. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, people have told me I cloak it like really well, <laughs> <laughs> that I cloak it pretty well. Right. Um, by the way, best time to do this is when you're PMSing, like (laughs) when you're pissed off at everybody, you're pissed off at everybody. Right. So, you know, we, I just did that last week. Right. And so I, so I work really well with that. And I think part of what happens to us is we're just not tapped in and tuned in to those things. And we're not tuned into those rhythms and we're not really being self-reflective. I mean, when I was writing more about personal finance, it was the same thing, right? Even though I've like since evolved out of like the way traditional personal finance thinks about money is still very limited and not the whole story, but it is a place to start, right? Mm -hmm. It does give you at least something because Mm -hmm. most people just are not aware at all. Yeah, no, it's the truth. Like we're so unaware. And also I feel like um, this is why women run their businesses differently. Like this is like, I think the more feminine way you know, to be doing things. And that's what makes our journey different. Yeah. Like I'm getting a download right now. I'm used to like doing, 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 right. We talked about this when you came on my podcast, cause there's, there's comes a season where that's necessary, mm-hmm. but I'm not in that season anymore. So now the download that I'm getting is like lean back. The systems and the team are good. You just have to trust that if they're going to work and the money's going to come in. We should go to a support group. You and me, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> like we're on the, well, so this is a perfect example of, you know, how feminine business runs, right? Pregnancy is nine months. And if you start pushing at three months, you're in trouble, right? Like you don't want to push out a baby at three months, but if you don't push at nine months, you're also in trouble. You, you need to get that baby out at that time. It's time for it. So it's just an example. Our periods are perfect examples of that. We exist on cycles, but also even just the way we create something, you know, as humans, we create these humans within us and we release them just shows you that it's never, ever green. You know, it's not like we don't live in forever sun. There's these, there's these cycles to, to creation. So you're in the creation, like you're not in the pushing mode anymore, which is a natural, some people don't like to hear that too. Like I have people that it's like, Oh, you're, I mean, I wasn't, I, I mean, I'm still there. I'm like coming up on it, I, but I've had like three years of pushing, but I know that I'm about to move into a little bit more of a sitting back. But I, I remember- It's a weird as, place to be, Nikki. <laughs> After three years of pushing, it's a weird place to be. Ass, it's a strange ass place. Uh, <laughs> it requires a lot more trusting and you know all these other things. But pushing- then there's, I'm, I was like, okay with pushing, but after you push for a long time, you get really tired. And every mm-hmm. year I would, I was like, oh my gosh, another year of pushing. But if you resist that pushing, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. And, but it's, it's this thought that we're, that I don't know that we're always going to be pushing. And that's not the truth. There's seasons mm-hmm. for us. Like even when you have children, you know, when the kids are little, there's these seasons that like, you know, you got a lot, you have a lot more to do, but as they get older, it's a little easier. So anyways, that is, um, an awesome understanding that you're coming to, but you have been pushing for a lot of years and you needed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. My team wants me to do it. I went to a team meeting and they're like, we want to make sure that you just have more time for fun. Cause that's when you have really good ideas. 
And I want to make their life because if, if I'm stressed out, I'm not making their lives easier either. And then they can't do their work. Right. right? And so, yeah, for me, it's been a lot. And it's, it's like a, a process to come out of it. Like I just interviewed Gay Hendricks on my podcast, author of The Big Leap, and he's got a new book out called The Genius Zone. And then his whole thing is about spending more time in that zone of genius, mm-hmm. right? And all the ways we self-sabotage every time we start getting there, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what a big bulk of his work has been about over, um, I mean, he's got like a 40-year career. And I was telling him like, yeah, you know, I went through a period where I really had to push and build out systems. The pandemic kind of helped because I wasn't going anywhere. So I just like, right. I was like, we're getting yeah. it done. Like I told my, no one's going anywhere. No one's getting on a plane. We are getting this shit done. We were, so we were like the few people that, that I, I feel like I was busier. In I was busier during oh, the pandemic. God. I've I never worked like so hard in my life. Like I did during the pandemic. Same, same, same. same. I was like, who, who's getting these rests to work out more? <laughs> yeah. Who's doing that? And my associate coach was telling me how she had gone to a networking meeting. This was before she was working with us during the pandemic where like she says people like the woman said she was so bored she was cutting her grass with her scissors oh. right <laughs> i love that right and i'm like who had time to be bored like i was busier than ever just yeah. trying to get this stuff done because a i wanted it done b i as fucked up as it was it was still the opportunity of a lifetime to get right. it all done right. because i knew it when the world started time. opening huh and no i mean i guess it was a privilege for us to be able to have it was a privilege it was a privilege right? One that I was going to take advantage of because I knew that when things started opening up again, it was going to be for those who were prepared, because this is always what happens. Like people are always like, oh, how do people make a lot of money after recessions? This is why they work like dogs when things are like really bad so that they're prepared when the things Mm -hmm. open up and then they get all the money. Yeah. Or even the people that were buying up, you know, buying everything up at that time too. So yeah, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Amanda, you, this is a kind of a random conversation, but you introduced me to under earning. I don't know um, if you remember that. I'm sure you introduced a lot of people to under earning. Can you explain what an under earner is? I had no idea I was an under earner at the time, um, but could you explain what that means? Yeah. So the coin, I believe the term was coined by um, Barbara Stanny, now Barbara Hewson. She's actually on my podcast as well. I think her episode's coming out in July. So this month, and she coined the term in her book, Overcoming Under Earning. And basically that's when you're working, 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 but you're still not really being properly compensated for it. What, according to her or the book, one in four American workers um, is an under earner and most of them are women. Mm-hmm. So any ideas of like how you overcome that? (sighs) My favorite way of overcoming it is when I find, because I'm good with contrast, is when I find out there are mediocre people out here making more money than me. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's not it. So, and here's the thing, you guys, because in spirituality, we think we're supposed to have like all sorts of good emotions all the time, but like- No, fuck that. I got boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) I get mad at shit. Like Like, this girl's charging, you know, $400 $400 and she sucks. And you know, it's, it's not about her. It's just about, you know, it's a mirror for yourself and yeah. that's it. Like, it's not personal. It's not like you're going to, you hate the girl or anything like that. It's just a reminder of your own power in that moment. So that's, yep. so do you like look at other people in your space and you're like, what the shit? Like, is that what happened? Oh, I mean, I hear the stories all the time. We'll have women coming to us every week who are like, I spent $40,000 and they still don't know how to sell or no one worked them through market research and product mm-hmm. development. Right. So I hear it all the time. And I'm like, there are mediocre people out here making, there's people I have paid money to. And I'm like, this is mediocre. My shit's better. Mm-hmm. 
and that's an important thing to, and it's not about the other person. It's really just about, no, it's just about me. Yeah. yeah. You finding your worth in that moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I do under earning helps. I've already talked about quickly, but it's like when I feel resentful, like resentful is yep, a, that's a good one too. And is a clear sign that there's somewhere that I'm under earning or un, under being supported, I guess is the word. Like I'm not being, I see it as support because money to me is, is a resource and it's a way of showing that I am supported in the work that I'm doing. So um, I, I search for that too. Okay. Yeah. So, and how can we be better about sharing the things that we're proud of? So per, persuasive profit is really this idea of, you know, like you're, you're making yourself be seen, I guess, in whatever it is that you're doing. And also you're okay with like receiving on the other end. So any ideas of like, and to me, that's really a, like a solar plexus issue too, probably like a throat chakra issue too, that like, you just don't feel worthy of like being seen, which I feel like you, um, and I would say that you're, you're probably, I know you're not like naturally like that. I just feel like you, you put yourself in those positions always, even though I feel like you do a lot of things afraid, you know, you do a lot of things feeling all the time like insecure, I think you, yeah. you know, and that is a trick. Like people think like you're supposed to be super secure to do these things. How do you do things insecure or how do you do things afraid? Like kind of what's your, if you can give us So a there's a couple of things depending on the day, right? Some days what gets me going is realizing it isn't about me and I'm really just a vessel for the message. That's it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. This is, yeah, this so is my like work to do. The, yeah, your purpose and like why you're here. Sometimes that doesn't work. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Right. It, you're smart to think that you have to play with it sometimes. It's not always. I have to play with it sometimes. So that's a part of it. And sometimes it's really just considering the alternative. What does my life look like if I don't bite the bullet and just do this? And wow. I usually don't like the answer. Yes. I don't use that. I should probably use that. I love that. Yeah. It's just kind What's of like. What's the alternative? So let's say I don't do this. You know, let's say I let fear take over or my insecurities take over. I don't take these steps. What does life look like? Oh, we'll stop for a second so you guys can do that yourself. Doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, right? (laughs) Usually, sometimes that does the trick. Okay. I love that. And that just puts a little bit of fire under your butt. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and then what about if I feel bad? Like, so I have this beautiful, these beautiful offerings, Amanda, and I'm proud of them. Um, I know they work but I'm afraid to sell them. What is like, what's going on with me? So I used to say, and, and I still agree with this to an extent, but I heard someone else with, uh, I interviewed somebody recently and she had a much better way of putting it that I liked better that I think would work better for the under earners, right? So selling is service. Like you are fixing people's problems. That is all sales is. People think that sales is very like egotistical. And a lot of people do sales from an egotistical way. And that's why we're all afraid of it. But when you're really good at sales, it's actually egoless. Mm, I love it. What is an egotistical way to sell? Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you an example. An egotistical way to sell would be like, if someone tells you no, or they have an objection, you'd be like, well, actually this is totally worth the money because whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're just from that space so not like to the other person. Exactly. Whereas the proper way of doing it, which is the egoless way is like, I totally hear you. You're right. It's expensive. And then you just handle the objection. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's so funny. I mean, it's not about being right. Yeah. Okay. It's about getting the problem solved. Okay. So it's like whatever they're objecting about is basically. It's just, it doesn't mean anything. It's just like, yeah, sure. You're right. Absolutely. 
How do you deal with, which my, my team would love to hear you talk about this to me because I sometimes like overextend myself and do these like special, uh, like payment plans and stuff like for people, mm-hmm. because I know like some of the products can be expensive and I'm really just mm-hmm. trying to like get people into my work, but my team does not like that because it creates more work for us. And sometimes the truth is that like the person that's not willing to put down the money is not ready for the program. So how can I stay better and stick to like the systems I have created when it right. comes to charging? And why do I feel bad about that? I think it's more of an intuitive thing. So I think with everything, it depends on intention. So if you're doing it because you feel bad for the person, that's probably not the best thing to do. If you're doing it because this person is like, actually like we've had clients that they've legit been in dire straits. And I'm like, if you just get in here, I promise you, we can get this solved. Where I come from, Amanda. My you know, annoyed at me, but and then they start making more money and they pay off their balances. So and I'm the and boss. They, and they send business our way. So <laughs> like, there's one that we did that for recently, right? Because it was a bad situation. I'm like, I just need you in here, right? Her whole life has changed. She is sending business our way. Yeah, you so know. Bad. So I think it depends the intention with which you're doing it. And then, of course, if you're doing payment plans, you know you slap finance charges on that. So, okay. so you, you take care of yourself on that. Okay. So you take care of yourself on that end. Yeah. Okay. It just depends. Sometimes it is important to just get someone in the door. Okay. Yeah. Right. But, that's kind of, that's my, I, I think that way too. But it's an, and that also builds cash flow over time, which is something a lot of business owners don't talk about, but that is a way of building cash flow. So you're not always starting from zero every month. Yeah. That's what I've told them too. Okay. See, okay. This is good. This is good. Do you have any spiritual or rituals, anything like that, that has helped you like manifest money? So let's say like you start off, let's say you're making $20,000 a month and you're really like 50. Is there anything that you do beyond, you know, the strategy part? Uh, visualization. I'm good at that. So there's a visualization I do where it's like, I, I had one for a long time where I'm like, I just want payment notifications coming in every day. Oh, <laughs> that's great. That's like, I just wanna, like anything that reminds you of that you're making money, like yeah. just playing with that. Oh, that's a good just way. Playing with that. And now oh, I can tell you, we have payment notifications coming in every day. Oh, I love that. Okay. I Are played you- with that one for a while. Now I'm working on the amount Right. So I had to work on because I really wanted to build more passive income streams. So I think for me first, it had to be like, well, this is a new reality for you. So just like make it so that you see the payment notifications. Mm -hmm. Now is when I'm starting to work on amounts. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. I see that. I I agree. Like, um, because sometimes when for me, when I was coming from amounts, it was stressing me out. Like I was um, getting very anxious about the amount. So what? And then it has the like the adverse effect when you're like yes. stressed out about the amount. Yeah. yeah. So what I started doing was every time I do a program, I I have a feeling of like how many people need to be in it, mm-hmm. and that can like limit you, I guess, a little bit. But I know like how many seats need to be filled. So that helps me. I'm like, oh, there's just there's supposed to be 20 people in this program. Like, right. I see it. I I know it, and we've already priced it accordingly. So I'm not like stressed out about like a number. It's more about like the type of the amount of people that I know need to be here. And right. that, it comes more from the heart for me there. Because if I get too much in my head, I have problems. And that's the case for everybody. And for most women, I would venture if we get too much in our heads, it starts really screwing us up. Like guys look at it like a game. It's like, how many points can I get on the board? Yes. Right. That is not usually enough for us. Right. That's yeah. not 
case. And yeah, and that's why. And so speaking of that, you get a lot of good, you, you're open about this, that like you have a lot of male uh, mentors. I do have a lot of male mentors. Um, yes. But you're still, but you are able to teach in a feminine way. Yeah. So I'm wondering kind of what your thoughts are about that. Like, how did you? Did, so you know- many thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for asking, Nikki. I have thought about this a lot. <laughs> so many thoughts. Okay. So, and I've had, there's lots of women who've had similar experiences actually. So I think what has happened, particularly in the online business spaces, coaching spaces, all that kind of stuff, is there's been a huge focus on abundance and manifesting and mindset, all of which is important and necessary, but there's been a total lack of skill set and strategy. Mm. Yes. I am with you. Like I actually am not a fan of manifesting. Not that well. I think it's harder than people make it out to be. I think it's more uncomfortable than people make it out to be because you have to change. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So and they leave that part out. <laughs> Like, have you had experience with like, you were just trying to manifest and it didn't work. And then like, you got into strategy. Like, how did this come about? I mean, I think it was mostly like around sales. Right. So like I did, so actually I both were happening at the same time. So like I was living, I had got this opera, I'd done like a, a whole ritual type of thing. And I was like, I think it's time for me to like live somewhere else. Like I had just gotten that intuitive hit did like a ritual thing, literally within three weeks, got a DM from the person who would be my roommate of an apartment in Brickwell right on the bay. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just like moved in. I was just like, like I saw it and I moved in and it was a crazy story where I was like, uh, I got a download and it was like, um, this is a really random request, but do you have a ginger ale in the fridge? She had one fucking ginger ale <laughs> oh. in the fridge. That and was I was like, crazy. that's my sign signing the lease. Okay. Right. Okay. That was like also on your path. And that's why it was like this, like kind of easy manifesting because it was like heart guided. It was soul led, you know, in many yeah. ways. Like, and there's this piece where it's like expansion. So this is a part when it comes to manifesting money that people get really f- fucked up in their heads. Be a man right now. <laughs> like these people. I love it. Bring, it <laughs> Bring your power. There is a part of manifesting, which is expansion. Right. And sometimes that looks like you're going to stretch yourself financially. I had expensive ass rent to pay. Right. So I, and I was bringing persuade to profit out at the exact same time. All these things were happening simultaneously. Right. But I had already started and I knew before then that I needed more strategy. Like I needed people who thought differently than I did. Right. In order to help me get to where I wanted to go. And now I'm obsessed with systems. Right. But it didn't start off that way. Um, I had to find people to help me become obsessed with systems. Yeah. Right. And just okay with earning money, honestly. And that came from men. Because if you're in a room with men, they're not having a conversation about whether or not they're worthy of making money. (laughs) A bunch of guys sitting around being like, just feel so bad making this 20k they just don't they don't have that fucking conversation at all they're just like all right cool i'll charge like 50 grand for that like what's your credit card swipe it like that's it that's all it is like it's so like non-emotional right and they still go through their stuff too and they have to work on their mindset and their confidence and and selling themselves on themselves but i'm interviewing someone for my podcast who's kind of like a big deal hay house author and i heard her on an interview recently say like women need to stop it with this worthiness conversation like it's getting old and tired mm-hmm. yes wouldn't that be so nice like, yeah I like you're using she was like we're starting to use it as an excuse not to do the things we know we're supposed to do yes. 
Yes. It's like a self-sabotaging word. Yep. I guess you can feel it. Yes, yep. 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 So these guys have taught you what? Oh God, they've taught me like how to actually go out and get money without having to rely on funnels, which is a big part of what I teach women now because they're like funnels, funnels, funnels. And I'm like, or you could just learn how to go get it and then build the funnels. Like, you know, that's, you know, let's do that. Right. And then they're like, oh my God, I never thought that I could just go get the money. And I'm like, see, that's what the guys what understand. How do guys get money? Uh, they cold call, they prospect, they cold message, they, they learn the skill sets. They're like, like, for example, this, I mean, I did it already today. Cause I have inter, um, meetings all day today, but like I had an hour, I'm like, all right, who joined this group and who do I need to start conversations with right now to find out who I can help and who's got my money. <laughs> Greg Cardo says, who's got my money. Yeah. Right. We do that in a way we're not like, again, we don't come from like a money places that doesn't like that doesn't work for me. Like the way I, I know Grant um, Cardo, actually you introduced me to him and I, yeah. I love his work also, but I like, I, again, I come from a place of like, I know this person's supposed to be in this program, you know? So yeah. that's what and they I say that stuff too. Like you were just saying, like, you're like, I know I just need to get this woman into this program and it, yeah. you, know, you can come from that place and it's, it's legitimate, you know, it's, it's like- legitimate. And the guys actually do do that. What you see more of with the guys is like the game, the points on the board, the hunter, the, you know, that's fun to them. Right. And I think what I want to do is, well, what's our version of that where we don't get depleted. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if we do in that energy too much, we deplete, but there's still a level of that, that we need to embody and understand in order for us to actually make money and mm-hmm. take care of ourselves. And then when we can make money and take care of ourselves, then we feel supported. And that's when the feminine can really come out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, you're saying take care of ourselves. That is a big part of my story, my mission. And I'm married. I have been honest that like, I have gone through things with my husband. I was not sure if we were going to stay together. And to be honest with you, I don't know what the future holds for me. I don't right. know if he's going to be there tomorrow. You know, like he can wake right. up tomorrow and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that doesn't change the fact that I have three children. And that doesn't change the fact that I right. need to care for myself. So that is also like a motive, you know, like it's half knowing that I have to support people. A lot of it is knowing that I have something to offer, that God has given me this gift. God has given you this gift. And that this is how I support myself. This is how I take care of myself also. So it's like a way of loving others, but also loving yourself at the same time. I think you do a good job of that. You, you know that you're taking care of yourself. I mean, you're a single woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And even if I wasn't right, it's still the same thing. Like, and I, that's from my personal finance writing days. Like your man could get disabled. You could get divorced. You got kids to feed. He could die. Like there's so many things because it's just life. It just is what it is. Like it's, it's, and a lot of people don't like to think about those things, but they are a part of this human experience and we just have to accept it and deal with it mm-hmm. and put on our big girl panties, yeah. you know, and, and just and- deal with that. And appreciate that, like, like you said, that these are expansive moments, like you getting that apartment and having to pay that rent, like that is, you know, expansive. Like these are. Yeah. And I just want to be clear. That's not the same as putting a Chanel bag on a credit card when, because I have a Chanel bag, but I could have paid for that thing in cash twice. Like, you know, like that's not the same. And that was an expansive moment for me. I almost threw up, but I'm so glad I did it. Right. Because it, I did it. And the Chanel has increased her prices three times. I have not been able to, you know, that my husband walked me into a Louis Vuitton store to buy, um, a bag. I think it was for my third child or something. Yeah. And I couldn't do it, Amanda. I don't know. I, it's just, 
I mean, I had my eye on this bag for years and I kept saying, when you get your first real estate property and I was like, no, fuck it. You're getting it now. You just went through 2020 and you found a really good deal on the secondhand market. You are pulling the trigger and you have the cash. You're pulling the trigger now. Right. So that's what I did. And Chanel's increased their prices three times since I bought it. And it's only been six months. Yes. Luxury items are like so on the rise right now. It's so fascinating to me. Yeah. So that's not the same. That's not the same thing. Right. So I just want to be really clear about that because a lot of people out here in the spiritual space are like, I'm just acting as if, no, you have to like, you have to take care of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Grounded in. Thank you, Amanda. So I've, I've taken up so I could talk to you for hours. I've taken up a lot of your time. So I know we're <laughs> wrapping up. So can you tell us a little bit about Persuade to Profit in case it's for Yeah. So, so Persuade to Profit is our 90-day sales training program. And basically what we do is we help you create your own intellectual property. What is your program? What is your signature offer? We do focus on being able to scale from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So basically what that means is how do we create something that you don't have to trade your time for, mm-hmm. right? That's what that means. So we can actually create cash flowing businesses and stability and freedom for the owner. Um, And then we'll go into marketing systems, how to build your authority, marketing skills. And then it's literally six modules of sales skills, everything from prospecting to negotiating, to handling objections, to closing, to follow up and everything in between. Love it. So it's kind of like if I was just doing a bunch of readings, but I didn't know how to get out of readings, which, you know, our, our school does all of that but probably like that would probably, we would start working from like that point. So it's, it's probably great for people who are service oriented that already have like something that they're service offering. Or, I mean, we have beginners too, and they just get it done right from the beginning. Yeah. They don't have to go through all the, the they don't have to go through the torment of having to tear like the whole first business yeah. model apart. And yeah. then try, cause that's, that's hell. I went to, you know, I, I'm kind of still in that and it's, it's tough. It's challenging. It is so it's worth tough, it, but I, it's challenging. Yeah. yeah. So I understand. And um, how can we get in touch with you? So you could go to amandaabeya.com. That's A-B as in boy, E-L-L-A.com. You'll see the podcast or programs, all that kind of stuff. And then we also have a free Facebook group called High Ticket Sales for Women Coaches and Course Creators. You do not need to be a coach or a course creator, but if you want to come learn some skills, right, we do free trainings in there. My team and I, every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, recordings are also available. We got lots of international people who can't make it live. And you can join, um, just text the word join to 833-321-0314. We'll also put all that in the show notes. So mm-hmm. I, I love that. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I love you guys so much. If you love what you're hearing, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with a friend? That little review does so much. It's so damn helpful. You don't even know. So thank you for that. And if you're ready to unlock your spiritual gifts, enroll in my three-level program, Soul Academy, or join my free community, Soul Collective. I'd love to have you there. The links to join are below in this episode. Until next time, love you much.